Welcome to the House of Cinema podcast. I am your host, Joe Aragon. With me today, Sydney Volpe. And in the house today, reactions, initial reactions to the movies Saltburn, the latest from Emerald Fennell, starring Jacob Elordi, Barry Keoghan? How do you um, say that? We can go with... Keegan? Ke- I don't think it's Keegan. I don't think it's Keegan either. I've I've heard Kogan. Kogan. I like Kogan. Barry Kogan. Barry K. Barry K. We can say Barry K. We can and say Bathwater Barry. <laughs> Do we want to say that? Don't know. Don't know. Uh, well, so we're going to react to Saltburn, which we've seen here at Fantastic Fest 2023. We're also going to be just briefly discussing the first two episodes of House of Nope. The Fall of the House of Usher. I am so Usher. bad at saying that title. I know you are for some reason. It's like a you know internal tongue twister. I can, <laughs> I can never get it figured out. The latest Mike Fly- Flanagan joint, The Fall of the House of Usher, a series arriving to Netflix like the second week of October, you said? It is October 12th, I'm looking at. And that uh, we saw the first two episodes of that, so we'll talk about that and react to that. And then if we have time, we'll react to Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Bloodlines. The latest in a franchise that does not need to exist. Does it change our mind? I'm not going to tell. <laughs> <laughs> but if you follow us on social media. Uh, if you follow either of us on Twitter <laughs> or Letterboxd, you know the reaction of that will be. So all of this will be uh, no spoilers. So don't worry about that. We will not spoil anything about the movies. So you can go in blind. This is more of our reaction to these movies that we saw early that we wanted to share with the public and kind of talk about it. Um, probably talk about a little bit more about the festival as well, kind of our experience with that. And uh, that's about it. I guess a good segue to this is going to be Sydney. We're in Austin, Texas right now. We're recording live together. Yeah, I see you in person. I see you as well. I see you. How is the, <laughs> how's the festival going for you? You see me. Thank you. <laughs> festival rocks. I mean, we love Fantastic Fest. We came last year for the first time. And was that your first like film festival going as press? Going as press, yes. Okay, mine too. And I think last year was totally overwhelming, but you know everyone was so kind. And being that it's like a, a genre film festival, like mm-hmm. specializes in horror and sci-fi, it's the largest genre film festival in the U.S. And it's just really casual, and it's like intimate because it only happens at the one Alamo Draft House in yeah. Austin. I'm just so happy to be back and we've seen some banger stuff. We're about to talk about maybe the two best things that we've seen thus far. So having Saltburn as the secret screening was like, that was huge. Um, So yeah, I'm just so happy to be back. We're seeing even more movies this year Mm -hmm. than we saw last year. And I'm happy to talk about, or excited to talk about them all. Yeah. How about you? Feeling good. I mean, I echo the same sentiment last year was, you know, scary, overwhelming because, you know, it's our first festival as press. It was a lot of fun. We saw some bangers last year. We saw Banshees, right. uh, Van Sheeran, and The Menu, and Smile. Bones and all, and yeah. Decision no, that was a great year. It was a great year. Bones and all. It was a good, really good year. And this year, there may not be as many heavy, heavy hitters, but there's still a lot of great... I feel like there's a lot of great horror movies that we've seen that are lesser known that will explode in popularity when they eventually come out. And That's like, a great point. That is really exciting to me. Because you know, you, it's cool to see it early and you can kind of be the champion of that movie. So when the public does get the hold of it, you're like, yeah, it was awesome when we saw it. And I'm glad people were realizing it. But it's a fun festival. I think the difference between this festival and like the big ones, you know, TIFF, Cannes, Venice, New York Film Festival, Sundance, 
uh, is that there is a much more intimate feeling to this festival. Everybody's very casual. It's you know everybody's big horror enthusiast. You know it's like a it's like a big family gathering of weirdos and exactly. sickos and freaks. <laughs> so it's been a lot of fun. Um, kind of to segue off what we said earlier about we're talking about two of the movies that we really love. Saltburn, I want to point out, was not on the schedule. What uh, Fantastic Fest does is they hold secret screenings. And usually it's just two movies, two secret screenings a, a year. And there can be anything. Uh, last year, you and I were the lucky participants in Werewolf, Werewolf by Night. Werewolf by Night, <laughs> uh, which is that Marvel uh, special, which, you know, was fun in the moment, but like... It was a jarring experience going into the secret screening, th thinking of all the possibilities it could be, and then the Marvel logo popped up. <laughs> it was the weirdest feeling in the theater, and I think people ended up, you know, Werewolf by Night was fun. Yeah, yeah. And Michael G Giacchino talked, and that was really cool. He, like, zoomed in. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it can be, it just goes to show it can be literally anything. It could be anything. The, the, the festival has a history of it being anything from, like, There Will Be Blood and all the way to, like, some weird sci-fi movie. and so. The best part, it's my favorite part of the festival, I was telling Sydney, is that the amount of speculation and theories that swirl about secret screenings could be anything. Well, anyways, this year's Fantastic Fest, there's not two secret screenings, there's four. There's four. And we're seeing, you know, I'm seeing three of them. Sydney's seeing two of them. Oh, okay. You did not have to do so, me like that. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, <laughs> know else how to, how to say it. Yeah, I, well, I, I know. I'm trying to weasel my way in, but... They're in high demand. These get hard screenings to get. and they get the hard to get. Yeah, if you get if you want to get a pass to Fantastic Fest, like you can get super fan badges. I think it's super fan, and they get to book their tickets like Early. a week in advance. Yeah. But press, we have to book our tickets the, the day, day before, before, and it's just a mad dash. And yeah. they sold out before I was able to get there. I mean, I'm not going to the Family Feud night, and you are. That's and... true. I will be at Fantastic Feud. So, anyways, the point is, Saltburn was the first secret screening of the festival. Uh, kind of a wild pick. A lot of people were thinking it was going to be like a Exorcist or Saw X or uh, Five Nights at Freddy's Thanksgiving, right. literally in like genre type film. But it was Saltburn, which was a pleasant surprise. I was, I'm mean, obviously very excited to see it. What was your initial reaction when they announced it was Saltburn? Well, I think we kind of had a hunch, a big hunch, yeah. especially because our options had been narrowed down because I was reached out to um, by the fest because they wanted a lot of um, like female participants to be there because it was uh, directed by a woman, yeah. which I think is was an awesome thing for them to do. And so we were like, okay, what's coming out that's directed by a woman and kind of fits the vibe of the fest? And we thought like Night Bitch yeah. is coming out soon. Is it that? What was the third thing? Oh, I th Priscilla, we thought maybe Priscilla. Didn't. Okay, Priscilla. I guess does not really fit the vibe of Fantastic Fest. I would have loved to have seen Priscilla also, Same. but Same. I think Saltburn was the one we were like, okay, Saltburn like has already premiered at big festivals. It's gaining momentum. Emerald Fennell, like that would be so exciting. And it is like, it's a thriller. It's like very, it's a bit depraved. Uh, it's definitely a thriller and it would definitely fit the vibe of the fest. I will like to say on record I was very confident it was Saltburn going into. Well, but Joe told us that it was a Royal Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> it also would have been great. But I did have a last minute uh, crisis. Like, oh, no, it could be Royal Hotel <laughs> going into it, which is also directed by Kitty Green. Uh, right. It's neon. You know, it's, it, it has it's like a dark comedy. It would have fit the vibe. 
I would have been fine with Royal Hotel, but I exactly, was yeah, eager for Saltburn. So when they announced Saltburn, I was like, I think I was like the only person in my theater that audibly was like, yes. You're right. But do you think the audience was stoked for it? Did, did you get the vibe that your audience was like yes. happy about Saltburn? Yes, I think so. In the Saltburn, I'm so excited to talk about Saltburn because it's one of those movies where we both really liked it, but I think there will be people who don't like it. And I think there are a couple things that we want to talk about that maybe we didn't love so much. And so once the film ended, I was like, I don't actually know how the people around me felt about that. I turned to my two friends I was sitting with and they were like, I love that. Um, so I went on a tangent. What did you ask me? If you if you felt like the general audience that you were in was oh, yeah. excited about well, it, or so like that's what it. I'm saying. Like I think that people were like super psyched for it to be Saltburn. I think it had kind of you know caught wind. Like a lot of people thought it was going to be Saltburn. We've heard great things about it coming out of Fest. Yeah, so many people love Emerald Fennell, and I mean the movie. Just looking at the trailer, the movie looked absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, which is always exciting. So, what, do you agree? I kind of don't. Oh, okay. I feel like while I was walking into theater, as they called like, okay, theater five, go in. And as you know, you do your march to the theater, you're with a big crowd, uh-huh. like a bunch of sheep being corralled into this theater. And everybody's kind of like talking to each other, like, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? And I kept telling people, I think it's Saltburn. And a lot of the reactions I was getting from these like strangers, essentially, was like, oh, you think? I hope not. Or like wow. getting kind of mixed reactions from my guests. A couple people were excited. I feel like even a couple people weren't even aware of what the movie was. Uh-huh. Uh, I had one person tell me flat out I was wrong, which to that person, I was right. But I thought it was a little bit more mixed going in. And then when they announced it right before they showed it, uh, the reaction to my theater, a little like couple cheers here and there, but was not the most like excited. Why do you think that is? Why would they not be uber excited? I think Fantastic Fest is a festival really filled with people who are big genre enthusiasts. Right. You know, they kind of go expecting to watch goopy, grimy horror movies. Uh, you know, the opening film was Toxic Avenger, which, if you don't know, is like a B movie reboot uh, and it's very gory. Um, and so I think people go into the secret screening hoping it's going to be something like Saw X or something like Thanksgiving. Uh, something like more just, I think, traditional in, the t- in that sense. Right. Um, last year, like we said, Werewolf by Night was definitely odd and people did not like that. But the other movie they showed last year at Secret Screening was Hellraiser, which That's I think right. does fit the vibe of this festival. So I think people were just like, either they didn't really know what Assault Burn is about and they're like, God, ah, is that really the vibe we're going for? But once you watch the movie... The vibe is bright. The vibe is correct. The vibe is I correct. mean, if we're talking like things like there will be blood, like stuff like that, like it really fits in. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's it's easy to pigeonhole. Fantastic Fest is like a place only for, you know, the the grimy uh, grindhouse type movies. But it does. I mean, like last year we saw Bones and All, which we loved. It's a very emotional. Yes, it's dark and cannibalistic and violent, but it, it's an emotional movie. Decision to leave, an emotional movie. Right. Banshees of Inisherin, an emotional movie. Exactly. So I think that... It, Sometimes people get like stuck when they're in this festival, like, oh, it has to be this horror movie when it could be something Saltburn. But I think Saltburn is an ex- a perfect example of like the type of movie that should be showing here, I think. I agree. And I have, if we want to move on to getting into it, I'm curious from you, like what your feeling was right when it ended. Were, okay. you, were you sure that you liked it when it ended? 
So let me give this. Let me give a quick summary for oh, anybody okay. who ahead, doesn't ahead, know what Saltburn's about. Sorry, I'm just so excited to talk about no, it. No, you're. I'm excited too. I, a student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate, who invites him to his eccentric family sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. It's a movie directed by Emerald Fennell, who directed Promising Young Woman last year. Um, God, that's a pretty polarizing one. It stars Jacob Elordi and Barry Kogan. Um, Gran Turismo. I've raced this track a thousand times. Archie. Archie Medecque. I love Medecque. him. He's my new superstar. I do love him a lot in this movie, too. Really uh, Rosamund Pike, Carrie Mulligan, Richard E. Grant. Good cast. Amazing cast. It's Fantastic really good. Cast. Uh, initial reactions that you asked me when I walked out or like as soon as the movie ended, I knew I loved it. It was never a matter of, do I like this movie? It was a matter of how much do I like this movie? Uh-huh. Like at that point, I'm like really trying to figure out where on the scale is it going to be? And we're talking four, four and a half or five. I knew it was going to be minimum four. Um, I adored it from being honest i think that there are some things it's not doing amazing at we can kind of talk touch on that a little later but overall it's aesthetic it's like themes it's tackling it's performances it's twisted twisted moments it's humor right. it's so funny it's so funny One right of the movies i couldn't seen. believe how funny it was I, I, right like it's definitely and maybe we'll save this for the end, but I think people should be looking at this more as a, a black comedy than a thriller. Exactly. Because then maybe we'll be less disappointed. Yep. But overall, I knew. I knew how much I loved this movie, and I was really excited about it. What about you? When it ended, how did you feel? I was a little more, not conflicted, but it was like, I turned to our friend Chris, Movies Are Therapy, I'm sure many people know, and his first thought was, it was just so perfect. He goes, I think I loved it. And I was like, that is exactly how I feel because i think if one of us wasn't gonna love it it was gonna be me yeah but i was a little I, nervous about it don't gonna lie yeah and so as i was watching it i was like you know i'm i'm kind of picking up on some things that i think emerald finale is going for i don't know if it's fully successful but i'm like but man i'm just having so much fucking fun watching this movie yeah. i mean it was totally intoxicating during certain times and like you said i think I really think I was like, wow, I loved that as a black comedy and kind of as a hangout movie. Yeah. Like it's so aesthetically pleasing, which like we know, I think what everyone agrees on, at least about Promising Young Woman, is how great the aesthetic of that film is and the cinematography. She's working with, um, man, let me look up his name, but the cinematographer for Saltburn is who did Babylon. Oh. uh, Land. He works. Oh, Linus Sandgren. He works with Damien Chazelle a lot. Got it. Uh, it's it's uh just gorgeous and yeah. so every frame oh you like eat it up right. man. It's so good and i know everyone has been seeing going into it this movie i, I don't think it's not derivative it's definitely its own thing but there's going to be so many comparisons to the talented mr ripley yeah, yeah. it's a very similar thing about you know the wealth disparity and like the lying and the yeah. obsession and stuff like that it's that's definitely in here, but it takes on such a unique personality and unique sense of humor that it's almost a bit satirical. I mean, it is satirical, but then it it goes to some really dark places at times. Did you feel that it was it was really able to get away with like balancing tones like that? Because it really kind of does a one eighty a couple times. I think it's a balancing of kind of genres. This comedy versus thriller is where it. 
doesn't fall apart. That's a little dramatic to say, but it is where it's the weakest. Mm, okay. <coughs> Sorry, choked on my espresso. Oh, yeah, anyway. we're drinking espresso. <laughs> I think that a movie, it, it comes off, the movie wants to be like this intense psychosexual thriller. And there's, I think it does lack a certain amount of tension for that to happen. There was never a point in this movie I was like, oh my God, like what's going to happen right now? I'm like on the edge of my seat. It was never felt like that, but I feel like the movie is trying to go for that vibe of like, what's going to happen? We're going to trick you. But it is never, there's never a point like that. I'm like, I kind of know what's happening here and like, I get it. And uh, the lack of tension that I feel kind of doesn't make it a good thriller. But if you look at it through the lens of like, it is a black comedy a movie that you could like turn on with your friends. It might be a little, no, it would be cool. I don't think it's that weird, but there's to watch some, with your friends. I mean, like there's some scenes like if your friends are fucking based. I, <laughs> <laughs> you can watch it with them. <laughs> I, I think that in, in, if you look at through lens of a, a comedy uh, with like, you know, some drama elements, it, it'll, it works really well. It doesn't really work as a thriller, but I, I, you know, it's weird. I don't think this is a movie that's going to like, ruffle feathers like promising a woman you know i don't think it's a movie that i think it's like a fairly straightforward risk-free risk-free in the sense that like it's not doing anything like dangerous in terms of it's like um thematically or like trying to make a a point interesting like experimental yeah well like promising a woman is like it's touching on you know feminism and uh sexual assault and like that people got up in arms because it's such a sensitive yeah it's a sensitive topic and like you know people debate a lot about whether or not how it ended is a even a good thing for you know what she's trying to say so that movie is like the point of contention for a lot of people this movie either you like it or you like if you don't like it i can't it just may not be your thing because like fairly straightforward risk-free i mean some of the scenes are very like whoa i can't believe they did that but it's not like offensive it's not and i think that some people will well the only few people i'd seen that have seen it like i don't think uh david ehrlich liked it no uh, and i I read his review it's not he was like i think he was like it is undeniably entertaining you know it's amusing it's kind of you know it's funny and you kind of just get swept up whether it is surprising or not you just get swept up in this melodrama of Mm. it all i think that people will probably get the most kind of condescending about like it's very clear what emerald Fennell is trying to do and is she trying too hard like Mm. it's fine if there's no like it is like it's it's fine if we're not surprised it's fine if you can see where it's going it can still be satisfying but is it a little bit People people aren't going to take well to the fact that it is kind of making a point of being like, oh, here's this big reveal if it isn't really. I think that might oh, yeah. throw some people off. It, I was surprised that it didn't throw me off all that much. I mean, it is the issue that I have with the film. I mean, my theory is that this started off as an idea, as one central idea, and I think the script kind of evolved I'm not saying this is what happened. This is kind of what it feels like. It feels yeah. like the story kind of evolved past the original idea. And I think there should have been a change to something at the middle of this movie. I guess I won't go yeah. into detail about it. We'll do another episode. Like, like a spoiler. Because spoiler. it doesn't come out until November. Right. So this is just our, our reaction. And we'll, so we'll, I, we'll do yeah. This is going to be up for the best original screenplay Oscar. I don't think it is one of those screenplays where I'm like, wow, like, 
everything fits into place. Like it was this genius mm. puzzle where I'm like, whoa, holy shit, I'm picking up on these things that happened in the beginning, whatever. I think it truly is like, I think this is going to be the new, the way people lost their shit about Call Me By Your Name. Like, Oh, yes. I, I, I 100% that's agree. Like, people are going to lose their minds. For the people who watched Call Me By Your Name and thought, wow, Timothy Chalamet should have ate that peach. Well, well, have you ever heard of Saltburn? Have you seen- <laughs> prepare yourself for Saltburn? Um, yeah, it's a that's a really good point. You made a lot of great points without giving anything away. I think that it does kind of feel like that in a sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the public does react to it when it comes out. I think the crowd of people who are like no sex in movies, uh, they're going to be offended. But oh, very. That's fine. They can be offended. That's not a big deal anymore. Um, but overall, though, it's like fairly risk free, straightforward. And I think that like it's hard to watch it and like not have a good time. I mean, some people will vibe with it, but I absolutely did. I, I really enjoyed it. So exactly. Yeah, there are some transgressive moments that kind of pop up and you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh. I loved it. I mean, it, I was like, you know, it's like giggling, kicking your feet. You're like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> this is so unapologetically kind of just like sexy. Yeah, and it is. It's a horny movie. It was just fun. I know. It's like, it doesn't have to be fucking like Bergman. Like, no, I'm just exactly. having fun. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we agree on that. Um, I, I I gave a score on Letterboxd. I gave it a four to five. I feel good about that. Whether that changes or not in the next... I don't know, umpteenth months or when it comes out and I watch it again. I don't know. I'll, I'm going to see it again. November 24th. They moved it up a week. So it's November 17th. Oh, now. that's right. Because it's because everyone loves Everybody's it. Everybody's buzzing about it. Yeah. Uh, last question for you. Okay. Oscar prospects. Who and what? What do you think? What are you thinking? That's a good question because they went up for a lot. Uh, they've got a couple people in supporting actor and actress. Bunch of technical awards. I think... I think Ooh, Rosamund Pike in a just world would get nominated for supporting Rosamund Pike and Carrie Mulligan are so so funny funny in this movie. Just the way they play off each other and their line delivery. Perfect. It was part. I mean, there's a specific line (laughs) Rosamund Pike says towards the end during one of the big, big scenes that like got this crazy reaction. See, I, I don't even know which one you're talking about because she had so many zingers. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you off air. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> but she's fantastic. This movie, Barry, Barry K. Barry K. I think this is some of his best work. I think Agree. he was really good. I think he was perfect for this role. Well, you don't love him in Drew as Druig and Eternals. Actually, I did. Yeah, he's good in that. He was he's good in that. Part. I mean, he's a great actor and I love Druig. And what was his girlfriend's name? Uh, Michaela? No, it wasn't Michaela. Something <laughs> cool. Makai? Oh, yes, yeah, something like that. Something they like that. Sexy. They yeah, were sexy. Yeah, they were good together. Um, they they should have been the ones fucking. Not they should have been. Not the other two. They should rule the world. <laughs> um. So, uh, I, in a, I think he also is deserving of supporting actor. Mm, I don't know if he'll get it. I don't is, he not, be... is he not lead? Oh, he's the lead. Oh, he's for lead. lead actor, definitely not. El Lordy. Lordy for supporting. Does it See, happen? I don't think he's in it enough. Well, I don't think he really gets to sparkle in this film. Okay. And I wish he had. I wish he was more in it. I'll be honest. Yeah. But let's be honest. So it's, mo- it's mostly just montages of him looking like the fucking hottest person who ever lived. So annoying. I hate him. <laughs> I love him. I'm like, I'm on the Lordy train, but it's like he's so different. frustrating. Looking he can like get it for Elvis, for Priscilla. That's what I say. Yeah. yeah. If there's anything he's getting a nomination for, it's Elvis or Priscilla as Elvis. Okay. Anything else? Cinematography. A shoe in. I mean, the Oscars are 
off their rocker if they don't yeah don't the at Academy. least nominate it at least nominated original screenplay i wouldn't because i don't think it's like wow i mean as a comedy maybe it well there's it. so much coming out still what the way i don't know either though i know i don't know what the competition is i think killers of the flower oh that's adapted it's adapted oh, barbie barbie won an original screenplay yeah. is this screenplay better than the barbie screenplay wow i think they're both imperfect i well, i think they're both imperfect but if i already give one edge over the other i don't know i'm, I'm kind of on the barbie train <gasps> i don't know i might be team salt burn I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think either of them, if they, they get both like get nominated. Two legends cannot coexist. Because <laughs> <laughs> they can't. Uh, only, I only think that can. there'll be something else that comes along. Maybe like Anatomy of the Fall. I don't know. Oh, I'm excited for that. We'll see. We will see. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, do you want to say what you give it on Letterboxd? I haven't rated it yet. You haven't? Dude, okay. I don't know what to... I think I'm going to go for the four. Okay. Well, you say that now, and usually you change it to three and a half, so... That's not true. <laughs> okay. Let's transition. <laughs> to, um, we watched the first two episodes of The Fall of the House of Usher. I got that right this time. Nice yes, show. you did. Well done. Thank you. Mike Flanagan's show uh, is basically an adaptation, a loose adaptation of the original story, The Fall of the House of Usher, but it also includes just a ton of Poe lore, tons right. of Edgar Allan Poe stories and, and characters, uh, like uh, the detective, Dupin. He's, Take it away, English major. Uh, you know, I did do my final paper on Poe, so I'll just say, like, a lot of Poe cameos. It's the Poe cinematic universe <laughs> in this series for the two episodes we've seen. If you're a Flanistan like I am, um, God, what do I say? I will say this was fucking awesome, dude. This was it, maybe not the biggest surprise because, you know, like I, I, I trust Flanagan, but it is Netflix and, you know, you're a little nervous watching a show. But when episode two ended, I was gobsmacked. I could not believe how good that was i haven't been really metal i haven't binged a show and i can't tell you how long you know i'm not really? a big i'm not a big show guy i watch a lot of movies attack on titan yeah well anime's different <laughs> anime's different but like when this comes out i will i will binge the rest of it oh, i will yeah. watch and eat this up as fast as possible i think we're lucky it'll come out in the binge format because now it's like i just need to see it i, I mean if it, it. It, the ending of episode two i mean if that's just in the second episode I can only imagine the awesome moments that are going to come. Tell me about your experience. I mean, we we saw this one together. Oddly enough, we're at this festival together. This is like the first one we saw together in a theater together. It was. This this year, it's been really... The ticketing has been a lot. It's been strained. It's been... I mean, we're here. We've met a lot of people. Everyone... You know, everyone wants to be in the same theater and sit together, but it's just not realistic. Not at all. Festival world. Mm -mm. But that's okay. We get to see each other before and after. Yeah, yeah. It's no big deal. But this is the first time we sat in the theater together. Yeah, and I'm so glad it was for this. I know. So tell me how you were feeling going into it. Were you confident? Were you nervous, apprehensive? What's what's the situation there? Oh, I was very confident. I mean, Mike Flanagan, he's one of those filmmakers or TV show makers he's both. that you can yeah, he's both that you just know you can trust. Like, and I have said before, like, I am a Flanistan. I'm just not like over the moon. Over the moon. I like I love Midnight Mass. 
Well, what did you say? Over the hill house. Over the hill house. Well, I am. I didn't get to finish it before we got to Fantastic Fest and saw this, but I am watching Haunting of Hill House. I got most of the way through it. Uh-huh. It's great. And I loved, I think Midnight Mass, potentially until the fall of the House of Usher, is my favorite mm-hmm. show that he's done. Um, he He just knows what he's doing mm-hmm. and he creates these really, really compelling stories. And so I knew this was going to be good. I was excited to go into it also because my sister loves Edgar Allan Poe and she loves Mike Flanagan. And so I just wanted – I was so excited out, coming out of it. Good. I get to tell her like you're going to love that. Um, so I was excited. I knew, I knew it was going to be good. The only question was how good. I, that's how I felt. And <laughs> the question how good was definitely in my mind. After episode one, I was like, this is going to be good. I don't know if I felt like it was going to be amazing yet. Really? I thought it was going to be good. There were like a lot of amazing setups and moments. Meeting the whole family, meeting the ushers was one of my favorite moments. Like meeting all these different characters. Uh-huh. You know, Mike Flanagan, very well known for using a lot of the same actors in his previous limited series. To see them come back, it has been so fun. I don't know which character I like the best. I mean, we barely met a Rahu, Rahu Kohli's character. Uh, yeah, but oh, I love him. I adore him. He's so great. And he's, his character already screaming as one of my favorites. Do you think – I have a question. You can cut this out of the podcast if you want. But do you think we can say that I think each episode is going to be centered around a character? Each character gets their own episode. Cut that out. I mean, like, I think if you watch the trailer, you told me before going into this, you said it reminded you of Succession. I think I said I think it's going to be spooky Succession, and, this, and it kind this, of is. This, <laughs> the episode starts. It's like, uh, like a business meeting essentially, like going to a funeral, and it's playing like this big, uh, loud, booming, uh, like orchestra classical music, and I was like, is this Succession? <laughs> it does give off Succession vibes but spooky version and uh-huh. what did you say earlier i cut you off what were, we, what were we talking about earlier oh i don't know i don't know i don't think you cut me off okay well anyways uh yeah you said something i forgot now um oh oh after episode one meeting all the characters oh oh you think every episode is going to be about a oh, character yeah yeah yeah. i think that's i think that's a fair thing i to know say. i should have rewatched the trailer because i don't know just how much is given away in the trailer but i think that might be what's happening and that's why i'm like i think this this show is just gonna be pure candy like i think it's just gonna be so much fun and it has that like it's like it makes you feel like you're involved with this family and it's just such tea yeah like it's like just the drama and they're so just obscenely rich and it's just it's fun to play along with that but at the same time it is part of this I don't know if you've noticed this, but like almost every single movie we've seen at the fest has been about wealth and class. A and lot that's, of that's what movies are about right now. Yeah. I mean, it, it came up by, from COVID and I think Mike Flanagan and the, you know, people aren't off the train yet. Like I think Mike Flanagan is coming in at the right time with like this really fun satire that is not too, you know, hitting you over the head with it. Yeah. It's just so much fun. And the characters are, those kind of characters that are, you know, they're billionaires or whatever. Like they are terrible people, but they're also kind of likable and just so much fun. To yeah, see. it's succession. It's, it's very yes, succession exactly, party. exactly. So it's like silly. It's a little more maybe campy, maybe campier than succession. 
Yeah, well, I think it's just spooky. It's just scary. Yeah, spooky this was what my fear was, was that going into this, I was afraid it was going to be like more drama horror and not really scary. Mm-hmm. I-, I was wrong. Okay, yeah, now that you say that, I totally forget that I there was one scare that it's been so long that I literally felt like I was going to cry. <laughs> it, because I felt so violated. Like, I, I, I really was not ready. And it just pops up. <laughs> And I know that like my Flanagan has talked about how he tries to use jump scares yeah. like sparingly and tries to have them be something good. And man, he fucking really knows how to do that. This is so funny because I know exactly what jump scare you're talking about. And it's also sad. That's is, the thing about Mike Flanagan's horror is that it's also very sad. It's also very sad, but the way he he's so patient and like builds up to his jump scares, it always like you would kind of expect it. And then for some reason you may forget about it, and then all of a sudden uh-huh. I'm back. Yeah, he distracts you. He, just, he, <laughs> he dangles back. the carrot, and then he's like, ah. <laughs> "The one that you're talking about, it got me good." And I was reminded in that moment that this will be fun, funny, and scary, and like yes. twisted. And I didn't know it was going to be twisted, like really dark and yeah. demented, depraved, until the end yeah, of episode two. Dude, like he went there, dude. The end of episode two. <laughs> The last five to six minutes, truly some of the most disgusting, demented, fucked up thing I've seen on like Netflix and might be the most fucked up thing he's done in his own work since Gerald's game, which is Gerald's game is not even that fucked up. It's not. There is a one scene in Gerald's game where she's like pulling her hand out of the handcuff. Yeah, that's right. Degloves her. Spoiler alert. Which is a really gnarly. Apparently, that movie Gerald's Game premiered at Fantastic Fest, and Did it? rumors are hat or, or the story goes, a legend goes, someone fainted during that scene of Gerald's wow. Game. Wow! So yeah, that was tough. I think that the end of episode two. So if you know that scene from Gerald's Game, you know like that's a pretty intense scene. The end of episode two is on par on that level, maybe it's worse. Maybe, it's not like that kind of like intimate slow type thing but no. it's just so horrific and like you're watching it for like a, a two minutes straight yeah happen yeah and it's just like my mouth was oh, wide open on the floor i could not believe what i was i loved it i loved every second of it and uh-huh. i was like this is the, the type of stuff i come to fantastic festival uh-huh. to see these types of scenes and be like holy fuck i cannot wait to see the world's reaction to this people are gonna lose their minds i think people will like legitimately lose their minds i mean yeah when it comes out like make sure you're sat make sure you're paying attention and make sure you're in a dark room that's the thing that's my only that's one of my only gripes about mike flanagan's work is that a lot of the time it's dark whoa what was that the garage opening oh okay oh my god we're in an airbnb yeah we're in an airbnb. Space. Like, fucking like <laughs> rumbling like, noises uh, i'm sorry mike flanagan <laughs> i take it back <laughs> so his shows can be really dark which you know he hides a lot of figures in the background, and so it's kind of a double. You mean like sword. like literally like lighting lights? Dim. Yeah. Um, I know a couple. Some other people have that issue, but just watch, watch it in a dark room. That's how it's meant to be watched. Yeah, and it, it, once you watch it in a dark room, it's easy to like. It's not like you're not squinting. You know, the next movie we're going to talk about. I felt like I was squinting in some of those scenes. I was like, "What the fuck is happening in this movie?" I oh, that's right. Yeah, can't even yeah. see me, like what's in this fucking tunnel, but. But yeah, I didn't. Ha- I didn't have that issue with the fall of the House of Usher, and yeah, it has. It's all got all Flanagan's greatest hits, like the figures and the. Yeah, Flanistans are going to be eating good he just in makes October. Spooky shit, dude. I mean, he's so he gets he it. Like, 
how old is this man that it's like it feels like he's hitting some god mode stride yeah like he it's like easy he just gets it and that's really refreshing to get a director who like knows his own style excels at his own style and just goes for it every time you know until you can't may not work for you all the time but like if you love it you're just gonna be over the moon with this one it's so exciting yeah and we've only seen two episodes I know exactly. And there are people who've seen the whole thing who say that the whole thing is good. I know. Yeah. Someone I think was just after four episodes, they were like, it's still so good. Yeah. I mean, it felt really good to just come out of it. I think this was the one that the even more than even more than Saltburn, I came out of it and I was like, I am so over the moon about that. Yeah. Like, wow. I mean, just feels good. Yeah. It feels really good. This is like why you go to festivals to feel yeah. this, like fucking <laughs> godly feeling of ascending so to the ready. heavens. Yeah. I can't Literally. wait to watch the rest. Oh my God. My soul left my body. It was like, <laughs> is this heaven? This. Is this hell? I don't know. I don't want to stay here forever. <laughs> All right. So those are, those are our positive raving reviews on the first two episodes. Now you can't be mad at us if, if the show ends up sucking. Yeah. You know, we don't know, but the it's first two episodes, fault. I can't imagine they dropped the ball that hard. Like, no, there's no way. There's just no way. And I think, I think that you can kind of tell where it's going after the first two episodes. Yeah, not in a bad way. I'm no, sure no, there yeah. will be some. There will definitely be. Well, there is one central mystery that you don't know. Yeah. I, but I think uh, there's also this overarching thing that you can kind of tell what's going on. But I think since it might be one character per episode, it's still just going to be so much fun. Just like watching it. Exactly. All shit. Even if I knew, like, even if like our guess is what's happening, like we understand what the, the twist is, I'm just going to have a blast watching what happens to each character. Exactly. Like how they, I don't want to get into it, but I'm just going to have a blast watching the episode because right. of that. So, right. all right. Well, that's our, we won. We, we won on that one. Our positive review on, on that one. <laughs> on that one. That, the key word is on that one because the next movie we're reacting to is Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Yes, Bloodlines. Yes, that means a second Pet Cemetery movie. Not a sequel, but a prequel, prequel to the hit remake. I have not seen the 2019 remake. It's ass. I almost refuse. You should refuse. But I am just deadly curious because, I mean, King adaptations, I think some of the most fascinating things in the horror genre. Why the fuck can no one adapt this man? You you know the answer to that. I don't. You read King. I wouldn't know. I, I've only read a couple King novels, so it, it's hard for me to say why it's so difficult. You read a lot more than I do in terms of King. I've not read that. I mean, I'm young, and I just it wasn't until recently that I said I started really buckling down and being like, I need to read these books yeah. because it is just fascinating to compare. I have read Pet Cemetery, um, and the original. I le- have you seen the original Pet Cemetery by Mary Lambert? When I was a teenager, I liked it though. When I saw it, I thought it was cool. Yeah, it is cool. And I think that I think that there's something to like these Stephen King Pet Cemetery Bloodlines was not good. I feel like we should, <laughs> I feel like we've made that clear, but just to get it out of the way, that's kind of the context it's of this conversation. That is not good. Not even that is not good. It's so far the worst thing I've seen at the festival. I know it I mean it was it's one of those things where you slap it with like a really low rating and you're like, This is mean, but it's just true. I and and I feel bad because the Q&A was really – I thought the Q&A was great. And it's like – Okay. Well, clearly the people who made this like care about the original story. Uh, okay. Well, I think, that's I, true. Think the, I think the director and the writer care. 
But I think her producers don't. Oh, I mean, they're producers. Yeah. But I think <laughs> they have more control given. than we realize in terms of like what's happening. I think here. that's also true. So, oh, I didn't end up uh, telling you this earlier. The very first thing I noticed about this that I didn't like is that it's supposed to be like Ludlow, this like, you know, rural town in like the 60s. And they look like they're wearing flannels, like off fresh off the rack at Abercrombie. Yes, I'm like, why did Joe's putting on his Ludlow? You know, they Ludlow hat. Us, man, these studios are really. They could pay for Ludlow hats and these shitty blankets they gave yeah, us. Yeah, they gave commentary. us blankets. They gave us cookies and they gave us hats. They're I'm really so trying to sorry. fucking it was butter not us good, up for this one. And you can't make me say <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> yeah, Joe's got, got his Judd Crandall cosplay on. <laughs> Judd Crandall, I'm here to protect Ludlow Sometimes from the, the devil. It is better. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. The doing the impressions is fun. Yeah, but what was I saying? Uh, first thing you noticed was their outfits and how they look. Yeah, they just look so. It has this like studio sheen to it. Oh yeah, that I it just is coming up. So I thought this was a show going into it. I don't know why. Uh-huh. I do not know why I thought it was well, a show. Well, it's probably like, on Paramount Plus. That's why. Yeah, I think Paramount Plus just kind of triggered in me like, oh, it must be a show. I think this actually would have been really great as a show. It almost reads like a show in that there was no like three act narrative like it was just kind of like random what happened i thought in a way that was almost a little bit incoherent and almost like you can't connect to it if you don't know the lore from the book do you did you feel like that did you feel that way oh i'm gonna pull it up real quick um what's pull it up what i'm gonna pull up the summary okay okay i did i strangely enough because the movie kind of just jumps straight into like, oh, here's this town of Ludlow and here are these people. And if you haven't seen the first Pet Cemetery in a while or the remake or don't know the story at all, what's happening is like you may not even know who Judd is like or like what the significance of all these characters. It's definitely a movie that requires knowledge of the first. I don't think it's one that you can go in blind, which is weird for a prequel. Like you would think the prequel, you don't need any knowledge, but it does help to maybe have seen the original but you said earlier about having this studio sheen is exactly its biggest problem it has zero personality no bite not scary it's just as cliche as the studio film you can get in terms of its scares its story it's like it's it's the decision making nothing about it is unique or fun or interesting uh, not even the kill moments are even interesting. You know, like half the kills are are what's happening is, you know, they're like someone gets pulled under a door and they're gone forever. We know, I don't know what happens. Then we assume they die. Or when someone gets stabbed, you know, the camera doesn't show them getting stabbed. It's just like their face wincing from the pain and they die. Like nothing about it is like taking any risks to be fun or exciting. I, I'm just like shocked. This movie, I'm shocked this movie exists, if I'm being honest with you. I'm not. Well, let me ask you, <laughs> what do you think the, the decision-making was? Uh, give me your, your best CEO impression here. If you get a movie like Pet Cemetery in 2019 that uh, was critically panned, audiences didn't like it either. Uh, did I don't think it did very well in the box office, if I remember correctly. Basically a failure in every sense of the word. Why, why, why all of a sudden, well, let's do another one. 
what, what do you think the, the decision is there? I think that's a great point. I mean, they talked about how the writer of the 2019 version had a lot of notes, uh, you know, had done a lot of work kind of conceiving of this prequel script because the prequel, there's no prequel book. There is a lot of lore in the original Pet Cemetery because Judd tells, Judd is this old guy neighbor who tells the main character Oh, this, this, you know, you don't bury people in the pet cemetery because there was this story of this kid, Timmy Baderman, who came back from Vietnam. I mean, there's so much great commentary to make under the surface of this. He came back from Vietnam uh, dead and his dad, you know, I I won't get into, I guess, because if you do want to go into it blind, I won't talk too much about it. Yeah. These stories, uh, oh, this history of Ludlow, this is why we don't bury people in the pet cemetery. And from the original movie, you can tell things that things that get buried in the pet cemetery, they come back and they're a little janky. Yeah. It's, it's them, but it's not really them. And I forget why I was talking about this, but where I'm trying to go is that <laughs> <laughs> where there's I have so many thoughts on this movie that it just felt like, oh, okay, so why are they making this remake? I don't well yeah I guess there was this material that yeah. this guy had kind of conceived of this like here's the source material and he's how here's how we can expand the lore. Yeah. And but, I guess I have to correct myself in this that it's not a flop as I thought it would be. Oh, was it did it do well? I so budget-wise 21 million made 113 million dollars. Holy shit. Dude, horror it's it's just horror. Just horror. Every single place they can take it they will because the nun 2 is doing really well right now as well i mean yeah. nothing's playing in theaters right now well, but obviously because the nun 2 is really good <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Alec. so i mean it's a king adaptation uh 21 million dollar budget made 113 million dollars in its box office run it's rotten tomato score it has a 56 percent critic review 33 percent audience review holy shit so I was right about it being panned on both sides of the aisle. I was not right about it money wise. So there you go. Then I mean that's all that they need to see is that I made. I mean, and I think King adaptations are like this guilty pleasure where it's like the definition of insanity. It's like, oh, is someone finally going to do it right? Uh, you know? No. No. <laughs> What's the last good King adaptation? We ta- I know our friend Aaron Morgan. We were talking to about this Doctor Sleep. Yeah, I love Dr. Flanagan can do King. There are very few people who can do King. Like Mike Flanagan did Dr. Sleep and he did Gerald's Game. Yep. John Carpenter could do King. I think Christine is one of the... We love Christine. We love Christine. Shout out Patreon roomies over there. Shout out Patreon roomies. We just covered it. It was so fun to talk about. Kubrick did Stephen King well. I don't think uh, there are many people who think it is not a good King adaptation. Yeah, fair. Um, I can think of uh, Carrie... I mean, when you get if you get a good filmmaker, they'll do it well. Interesting, Brian De Palma, like pre two thousands though, most of the King adaptations were good. I think it's I think it's because you can only do King with like an eighties aesthetic. <laughs> Maybe I mean we got Carrie, Christine, Misery, Misery is the good. Big one. Uh, well, Shawshank Redemption technically true. Yeah, we're being real the technical. Mist. The Mist is two thousands, but okay. So there are good King adaptations. There are there are good King. We're not saying there's so not many. But as of recently, like Doctor Sleep was twenty nineteen. That's uh-huh. the most recent King adaptation that was good. But there's been far more bad adaptations. Hot, yeah, King. we got Firestarter last year, 
we got a children of corn movie that didn't even like make it, it it's available but it came out this year and i don't know who in the world seen it i didn't see it because i think they even were like charging money for it at the time that i tried to watch it and i was like no i think now it's free to stream because they're like we're just gonna put it out there now but uh that's I mean, what's it he has such this a uh, wide array of stories that are almost easy to adapt but they're but hard to do well well i guess people would be upset if we don't mention it yes the it the first it movie is it, really chapter good. one's great chapter two not so much but not very good okay so they're there they exist back to bloodlines back to bloodlines so basic premise let me just read the imdb summary just in case you're you're interested in in 1969, a young Judge Crandall has dreams of leaving his hometown of Ludlow. He wants to go be in the Peace Corps. But soon discovers sinister secrets buried within and is forced to confront a dark family history that will forever keep him connected to Ludlow. That's enough. I'm not going to read it anymore. Um, I'm trying to think of anything positive to say right now. Honestly, I was I not... A- I don't think it is without... Um... I think they expanded the lore in some interesting ways. And I will say they kind of updated. They were conscious about updating kind of this mythology about like in the book, there's like the Wendigo and that like native land is cursed and stuff. And I appreciate that they were mindful of and they had like indigenous actors in it. Okay, that's a positive. You're right. You're right. And at the very least, the original film. So points for that. Points for that. I think it is not. I don't think it's. Without, I think it looked good sometimes. Yeah, okay. It looked good sometimes. I created atmosphere here and there. I suppose so. This is really tough. This is hard. I'm so sorry. It is a little hard. It's a difficult one. There are a couple funny lines. There are some funny lines, yeah. Pam Greer's in it. Who? Pam Greer. Pam Greer's in it. I love Pam Greer. A couple funny zingers here and there. But overall, it, it just feels like a movie that Paramount Plus picked up and is going to put on their streaming platforms. And, you know, you'll get your your hardcore King fans and, and, and horror fans checking it out. But a movie that, that really relies on a couple cheap jump scares, some big, loud semi-trucks driving by to really get you. Uh, a movie that has put really no effort into its effects. Uh, there is one scene that, like, could have been so cool if they would have maybe done it practically or I don't know, put more Something energy into it. So, I and it is just this trend. You know, I'm sure the director could have made a way better version of this because yeah. I think she appreciates the original film. And I think the thing with King, like emotion and humor are really important, but I think King's films are also very simple when it all boils down to it. And yeah. I think this movie it they very clearly wanted it to be like this crazy like more conventional horror film with like really big like the the very core of pet cemetery is that it's so unsettling because it's them but not them and that and sometimes that isn't like this big gory scary thing it's yeah. more just like haunting and and the the pet cemetery story is like it's harrowing it's like a really really sad story and I think at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is going to, they're really going to tap into that. And then it does kind of devolve into this like cheap jump scares. It's like, it just felt like a weird, like possession, possession like, movie. zombie movie. And it's and sad it's, because like yeah. you mentioned earlier, the character of Timmy Baderman is like, it should be like this tragic character. 
but they really spend no time with him where I just didn't give a shit about him. Like I didn't really care about exactly. And I feel like they should have really leaned into that to make us feel some type of emotion where, when, you know, that things are happening to these characters and like people are just dying left and right. And like, okay, who is that guy again? Like, I don't remember half these people's names. Exactly. And, and Branshaw and Ludlow. I know, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of disappointing. I really feel like it's a movie that lacks any type of tension. And I, I kind of got up when it ended. I was like, was there even like a climax to this film? Like what was the, the moment that was like, uh, everything was at risk and the stakes were high. I couldn't even tell I you. The climax was like in that swamp. That which was like the most. By then, I rushed. was just kind of my eyes had glazed over a little bit, you know. <laughs> was uh, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I'll ask you off era because I was a little confused what was going on there. There, the last twenty minutes in that movie was like very. It was dark. I was like, "What's going on?" It was really dark. Hard to see anybody in this house right now. It was something anyways if you're a big king fan check it out i guess and let us know how you feel well if you're i want to i also want to hear if anyone listens to this and has read the book or whatever i think the i think the best option would have been they obviously made judd crandall like the main character because he's the most recognizable name yeah but i think it should like you said i truly think it should have been a really scary in like the sad sort of way story where Timmy Baderman was the main character and Judd was a side character. It should have been about Tim because you don't really get to know about Timmy Baderman or his dad. And the biggest thing about Pet Cemetery is why the person makes the decision to bring yes. someone back to yes. the dead yes. from the dead. And they do not explore that at all. They do not explore the pain of a father whose kid comes back from war and is fucking dead and he resurrects him and like dealing with the fact that it's not really your son i mean why that's like the most interesting thing that you could possibly explore and they just don't they don't uh, really i mean it's like i uh, thought it was like a yeah i have nothing to add I don't it's know, sad you, it's said it really well i think there that were, there were great ideas there I, now you can't do it again. It's hard to like feel empathy or sympathy when there's no time spent developing that relationship between this father and this son that the movie, like the, the crux of the emotion should have been this father who's distraught over his son dying in Vietnam. It's like glossed over. It's, yeah. just, it's so quick and you don't get any, you spend zero time with them. So you never get this like sense of, drama or like this no sense of their relationship really matters there's no gravity there's no weight to it exactly so when people die they're just like uh, people are dying you know it's it, really disappointing yeah i know it's a bummer like i i will always try and champion good king adaptations i really think there's like this is just exactly what you would kind of fear that it was it's like this studio kind of trying to capitalize on horror yeah. but not really caring about the actual story yeah and what why pet cemetery is popular in the first place well okay i gave the movie a, a whopping one out of five i gave it a one <laughs> <laughs> that's such an evil laugh uh, it was <laughs> better than any laugh in pet cemetery i'll tell you that much um let me ask you this you know we're going to do an episode dedicated to our, our five films from this festival to look out for in the future we've seen like six or seven films already is there any you just want to briefly say right now, like we've watched this, keep an eye out for it. We can do it. We're going to go into it. We'll expand later, but yeah, of course there are. Yeah. 
I'm excited for us to do a recap because we have seen some great stuff. I'm looking at my list because I posted on my YouTube. I like made the list of what we've seen. I think we both agree when evil lurks. Fuck yes. Fucks. It rocks. I love it. It was so fun. Um, Saltburn, we talked about. Fall of Usher, we talked about. Uh, Eileen. I'm championing Eileen. Eileen was not that bad. Okay. People thought maybe it was not going to be great. I thought it was extremely funny okay um and it i don't think it fully delivers on like the it gets really dark Mm. uh, like towards the end people have read the book obviously no i haven't um and hathaway thomas and mckenzie have great chemistry the beginning is very much like a carbon copy of carol (laughs) love carol and then it just takes this bizarre turn okay um i thought it was fun i thought it was fun uh you saw do you want to say property? Or are we not saying property? I think property is going to be an interesting movie if it does come out on a wide release for people to try out and experience. I think it, it has a really cool concept. It's a very on the nose, eat the rich story again, but it does make some decisions to kind of give you this moral con- quandary. And I, it okay. does feel kind of uh, cheap and lazy in my opinion. Um, but today I'm excited for today. I'm going to see a bunch of movies I'm really anticipating concrete utopia saying we're seeing the people's joker later tonight yes i can't wait i'm excited for your thoughts on concrete utopia i'm trying excited. to get into caligula the ultimate cut yeah there we go <laughs> and so uh there's a lot more to explore but we'll have our like five favorites to look out for soon so stay tuned we're still seeing the creator that's a big one that we haven't right. seen yet uh the kill is kill. a heavy like action movie Dude, that's been compared to like kill. john wick uh there's a few other big ones that we haven't seen so we will be watching them. We still got three full days of movies to watch. So is it three? That's Sunday, right. We're recording this on a Sunday morning. We still have Sundays activities, Mondays and Tuesdays, wherever we go back to our homes. Um, but yeah, I think what we'll do is we'll call it uh, an end of the episode. What will happen next is uh, one. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, coming up after this is going to be a like ten to fifteen minute sneak peek of our Patreon episode on Stephen King's Christine. So, you know, like, we, we kind of shit on Pet Cemetery being a bad King adaptation. We're going to end it on a high note by talking about a great Stephen King adaptation. Great. And that was Christine, a movie about a killer car, which we both adore. The sexiest King villain. Sexiest King villain. And uh, so that episode was released to our, our, our roomies, our patrons, who support this podcast on Patreon. If you are unaware, over on Patreon, we have... I would say three episodes per week exclusive to patrons. Uh, They range from anime recaps and reviews, horror recaps and reviews, uh, news, Twitter news. We talk about the movie news and stuff like that. Uh, We have a voicemail set up for our roomies and they can leave us questions that we answer. It's so great. Uh, We do drafts. There's so much stuff we do for the patrons. So if any part of you likes the Christine conversation, the first 10 minutes or so, Check out the Patreon. Uh, Check out the Patreon. There is a lot of tiers. uh, Very, I think, affordable, I would say, considering considering the- $3 a month in this economy? In this economy, $3 a month. Hey, Sydney, do you know how much a cup of coffee costs? $20? $20? (laughs) That could pay for uh, like 15 months, five months of Patreon. My Dunk's coffee, my Dunkin' Donuts coffee is like $6 now. I'm like- we yeah. need a recession. So if that wasn't a good selling point, I don't know what is. But check yeah. out Patreon. Uh, if you don't aren't able to do it, guess what? We are just happy that you're here 
listening to this episode. Exactly. Uh, there will always be public episodes. So thank you so much for uh, listening. Sydney, until next time, uh, I, I, we're recording in person, so I see you right now. Uh, you're waving at me. I'm waving back. <laughs> Uh, but we will uh, we'll reconvene next week. Another episode. We might do a whole episode dedicated to the creator because by the time we release that episode, it'll be public. It'll be coming out. The movie will be yeah. wide released. But we're also, I don't know if you mentioned that on the Patreon, we are doing kind of just like, you know, quick little reactions, recaps yes. as we're going throughout the fest and before we do kind of more. Yeah, we've been releasing just like 30 minute, really 40 minute episodes. Like, hey, we saw these today. That's what our thoughts. And what we're going to be seeing the next day. Yeah. yeah. So uh, check that out. Again, if you can just, uh, if you just listen to the podcast normally, we still appreciate that and love you dearly. So on that note, Sydney, I will see you in 30 seconds. Uh, and everybody else have a wonderful day, morning, and weekend. We'll see you guys later. Goodbye, listeners. What do you mean, came back? I'm sorry, Arnie, I can't. I know you're jealous. The kitten's cut in half, Arnie. Riot is over. Hello, roomies. Welcome to the House of Horrors. I'm here with Sydney. And in the house today... Bad to the bone! Bad! I am so excited to talk about Christine today. When this movie opens up with that song, I was like, oh, shit. Am I it turned on right hard. now? It hard. You know what other song is in this movie? Uh, is What song? The Matilda song. Which one is that one? The, um, the... Mm, oh, yeah, it is. It right? Is and I heard it. I was like, holy shit, it's the Matilda song. <laughs> this, my favorite song they play in this movie is, besides Bad to the Bone... Is the the one at the very end? What is the song at the very end where they get the fake out on the speaker? Ah, oh, it's gonna bother oh, me. I couldn't tell you. I'm song blind. I'll be playing. I'll play it right now. Actually, what we have? I can share it with you. You can. Why don't I just do that? I can even post the audio to the. Because uh... now I'm curious. Okay, well, let me see real quick. I got a lot of tabs open because I want to share a lot of things with you today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the movie has a great soundtrack. But the final song in the movie, like the very final scene, the song. God, I hate rock and roll. Let's oh, go, such let's an go. iconic quote. Dude, I know this is for later, but in my top three scenes, this is my favorite scene, I think, in the whole movie. Really? She says, well, it's my second favorite scene. There's one other scene I think that you and I will both love. But the her final line of gotta hate rock and roll and then it zooms in on like the junk, the crush cube of Christine, and it just like barely moves, like the the, the fender moving. Yeah. Ugh, I love so it. Much so much to unpack. Anyways, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking about Christine. As I said <laughs> earlier, I was uh, very excited singing Bad to the Bone because man, I love this movie. It makes me so happy every time I watch it. And every time I think I'm like nervous i'm not gonna like it as much i'm wrong every single time i love them i adore this movie uh, i'm so you, with you you saw it in theaters just recently and you know we kind of talked about it in the halloween episode you were a little bit nervous that people didn't care about christine how are you feeling kind of going into this episode yes i like i like that you said that because i think this movie does have that weird quality of you're like oh is that movie actually good like i remember I liked it. Yeah, like, is it going to hold up? And I also love this movie, and I think I was a little nervous. I'm like, are people into Christine? I think if you give Christine the chance, like, anyone would really like this movie. 
And I don't know. I think like as I was researching for this episode, I just there are so many cool details and so much to to dig into in terms of like what it all means. Every every single movie we do, I start digging into it and I'm like, oh, I thought the last movie we did was the coolest movie ever made, but it's actually this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think you make a really good point in that. You have to give the movie a legitimate chance. I don't think if you go into this movie assuming, oh, it's a movie about a killer car. What a silly and stupid concept. And you never really give it a true, a tried and true chance. You're not going to enjoy it. It's kind of like that with any movie. But I think if you really keep an open mind and buy into kind of the campiness, the inherent campiness of Christine, it's it's a good time. I don't think it's perfect. And I have some, you know, things that we'll bring up later that I wish we would have seen or wish it could have done better but i adore this movie and like it's just such a good time and i'm really excited to dive into the specifics of it with you because there's a lot a lot to break uh to like break down and discuss and unpack there is do you have a first memory with this movie like did you watch it at a certain age like were you young when you watched it were you older what's the story if you have i watched i watched this movie for the last for the first time last year Oh. On May 11th was my letterbox wow. review. So yeah, I do not have history with this movie, but were we I friends my, by then. Yeah, we were friends by then. And I think okay. I had talked to you about it because that was post. No, that was not post Fantastic Fest. That was pre. No, it was pre. Fest. We definitely knew each other. In we some knew. Capacity. Yeah, we knew each other in some capacity. Internet friends. Right. Um, yes, but my personal thing about this movie is because of how much I love Stephen King and I'd always really wanted to watch it because John Carpenter talks about how it's like one of his, I mean, Stephen King, not John Carpenter, Stephen King talks about how it's like one of his favorite adaptations, um, of his work. So I always really wanted to watch it. And when I finally got around to it, I was like, yeah, that fucking rocked. But do you, <laughs> did you, haven't you said you like watched it growing up? No. This is one of the rare Carpenter movies where it was never really around my household. I feel like my mom, like Christine, would reference it often, but I don't think I watched it or I don't have any like cognizant memory of watching it until I was much, much older. I think wow. the first time I remember watching this was during the pandemic. And I turned it on because I was like, oh, it's Halloween. I want to like watch, you know, something scary or spooky or mm-hmm. something Carpenter or King. And I just, turned it on it was on amc or it was on some channel and just fell in love with it i was like this is such a cool movie it's so fun it's a little campy but like there are some really impressive shots and like the some really cool moments with the car and arnie and some great one-liners i just i really really enjoy this movie a lot so i have been a uh, fan of this movie since i've seen it I don't have any like history growing up with it but Right. I think that's kind of the first time that's happened with either of us for kind of like an older horror movie that we both love it as much as we do. And yet we don't have history with it. I feel like that's a little bit rare. Do you think it's because Carpenter is such a well-known and respected figure in film, but like to the general populace, to people growing up, you know, I I grew up in the mid to late 90s, 2000s. You grew up in 2000s. I mean... When people are going, let's watch a Carpenter movie, they're never really saying, let's watch Christine. They're mm-hmm. saying, let's watch Halloween. Let's watch The Thing. Let's watch They Live. Let's watch Escape I mean, from could, New York. Escape from lot. New York. Maybe in Big Trouble or The Fog. Right. But I just feel like no one really says, let's watch Christine. Yeah, Christine is like a little forgotten. 
Makes Why me sad. do you think that is? I think it is maybe sometimes people can't get on the, the campier wavelength. I think it's also just, uh, I don't know, it's a very simple film. And I think we'll also talk about, um, it has an R rating, and yet it's not very gory. Like, no, I don't know if there's a ton of shock factor in this movie. It's just mm. kind of like a vibey movie. And Christine is really creepy, but it's not like it's scary. Per se. Yeah, good point. Um, so it is interesting. As I feel like, like you said, like you really have to give this movie the time of day and realize, oh, like this is what this movie is, and mm-hmm. I can appreciate it for those reasons. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it is just a hard pill to swallow for somebody who's unwilling to get on board with Christine the Killer Car. I think inherently that idea sounds silly, and if you're not, uh-huh. yeah, if you're not willing to swallow that pill and and have fun with the ride, then it is a movie that people tend to like ignore, which is sad because it's it's just as good as anything else he's doing. It is. Well, hopefully some roomies have checked it out because we're covering it or some roomies get to talk about how they love it too um, mm. and have seen it before and all that. Yeah, I mean, it I'm is, really glad we're talking about it. It's the first movie, his first feature film post The Thing. It goes yes. The Thing in 82 and Christine in 1983. I wonder, like, I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to unpack and decipher why I feel like Christine is the one Carpenter movie. I mean, there's a few other Carpenter movies that live in the shadows, but Christine just feels like it lives in the shadows and it gets painted with this like big X on it. Like, oh, I'm just gonna skip the killer car movie. Well, I feel like, well, yeah, it is like it's kind of a trademark of Stephen King films too. And I guess you don't really like, you can think about like Cujo, like the killer dog. Like I watched Cujo growing up, but people don't really talk about Cujo, like where it has like this one, like haunted thing or this non-human evil thing. Maybe people are less drawn to stuff like that. It is a it isn't and also there aren't a lot of people in this film that went on to become big stars. I think that's also a factor which Carpenter cast no name actors because he thought they would feel more uh relatable. But yeah, then small town no, vibe. Right. But you don't it's not like, oh, that's Kurt Russell. Like maybe I should watch that. That's a if really there's good kind point. of no face on the poster, you know. Wow. Good point. I also will argue Maybe part of the problem is Les Carpenter and also as much or equally or more a a Stephen King problem in that Stephen King, a prolific writer, has written so much. No, no, I mean this in a good way. (laughs) That King has written so much. He's put out so much material. He's All of his shit is being adapted constantly that Christine just tends to fall by the wayside when you compare it to like It and Pet Cemetery. And The Shining and Misery. Like, these are all heavy, but heavy even, hitters. But, uh, oh, like, you're talking about the literal books? Because I'm like, this is way better than, like, Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah, movie. I'm talking about, like, the literal books. Like, I'm wondering okay. if audiences and just general populace are like, we read so much King. These are all the books that we care about. And Christine is a book that people like, but maybe not one people tend to put, like, high on their list. I don't know. I've never read Christine, so I don't know. Well, that is interesting that you say that because I'm currently reading the book. I'm not super far into it, like maybe like 200, 250 pages. Um, Mm. 
And I was looking at reviews and most people are like, this isn't my, I like Christine, but it's not my favorite King because it's just too damn long. And even what I've read, like there's just so, I mean, King is known to just have like a bunch of like extraneous detail uh-huh. that isn't necessary. And in Christine, there is a lot of like, you know, we're talking about fucking like Darnell for a while and like <laughs> it's like why <laughs> got it got um, it okay interesting. so I think that's a good point it's not really a more popular from his books wow well let's jump into Christine because I have a lot to say you have a lot to say without uh, further ado let's talk about it it let's was released it. December 9th 1983 is Christine a Christmas movie it's a holiday movie oh that's kind of well you know most of the book <laughs> I think like the kills take place during snowstorms Oh. I wonder if they ever considered making it like a like a little festive <laughs> killing. That'd be spree. kind of fun. I mean, it would be a fun Christmas movie if they put like Christmas trees around and like yeah. festive decorations around. That'd Imagine be like Christine, the headlights with like the anamorphic, and she's driving through like Christmas lights and stuff. That would go yeah. Or like put like antlers on it because it's like a deer or a reindeer. <laughs> People get eyelashes. <laughs> the fucking eyelashes. And like the, rain, the Rudolph nose. <laughs> oh, yeah. But December 9th, 1983, Christine comes out. Here's wow. your cast. Keith Gordon plays Arnie Cunningham. John Stockwell plays Dennis Gilder. Alexandra Paul plays Lee Cabot. Robert Prosky plays Will Darnell, the garage owner. Harry Dean Stanton plays Detective Rudy Junkins. He's barely in this movie, but he's in it. Christine Belford plays Regina Cunningham, the mom. Roberts Blossoms plays George LeBay, who is the former owner of Christine. David Spielberg, no relation to Steven, I don't think, plays Mr. Casey, the high school shop teacher. And then I wrote down uh, Malcolm Denaire plays Peter Mucci Welch. Uh, I didn't write down uh, Buddy. The actor played Buddy. Did you? Oh, I I wrote down something about him, but I didn't. Oh, here, here, um, I have, I have, I have him right here. Stuart he Charno plays Don, one of Buddy's. Where's Buddy? Who plays Buddy? Oh, William, William Ostrander. Ostrander plays Buddy. He didn't that's go on a, to do a whole lot. He has no hyperlink on Wiki, so that's why I skipped him on accident. Oh wow! So uh, that is the main cast. You get some side characters here and there, a couple more bullies, but that is. Essentially, who we're dealing with here. Guess the Rotten Tomato score. Are you ready? I'm ready. I I don't really have much of an idea for this one. I but I, I know. Think, I think it's higher than you would think. Okay. All right. I'm well, gonna guess. Do you want to hear the consensus first? I mean, you can go oh, online. Oh, I forgot I'm... we do. I always forget about the consensus. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I have more help than I think. Okay, let's hear. It. <laughs> uh, the cracks are starting to show in John Carpenter's directorial instincts. But Christine what? is nonetheless silly, zippy fun. I This was the most insulting consensus uh, I've ever read. <laughs> Explain yourself, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> what the fuck do you mean, the cracks? The cracks are starting to show in Carpenter's directorial instincts. That's kind of fucked up. That is fucked up. I truly yeah. don't know what they mean. I don't either. I mean, I think it's as strong as ever in Christine. I think so too. I well, I did you pull any negative reviews? Uh, like, like the critic reviews, I didn't. I only pulled... or like audience. Yeah, the audience. I, ones well, usually I did. the audience have like similar issues. I guess it's just uh, the frequency. 
the audience ones are 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 fairly all common in theme, but I don't know if it's the same thing that critics are having or same problems. We'll we'll okay. talk about that in a second. Critic Let score, audience guess. score. What do you think it is? Oh, maybe I, I was gonna guess in the eighties, but now that I'm hearing that there are fucking cracks, <laughs> um, maybe I should go lower. Okay, I'll guess seventy six percent. Okay, critic score, audience. Audience score. Mm. Can the audience 60. swallow the pill? I don't think they can. Sixty-three. <laughs> wow, I'm gonna say you're spot on almost for both of them. Really? Critic score seventy-one, so a little bit <gasps> lower than what you thought. Wow. Audience score sixty-four. You're off by one percent on that one. Oh my god! Wait, that was kind of impressive. It was very good. You're getting better every week. You get better. You get stronger, <laughs> just like Christine. Here, <laughs> here were some of the audience reviews. One person wrote, drags on forever with very little action and not a fright in sight. Little rhyming action there. Ooh, bars. Bars. (laughs) Someone else wrote, bland and very boring. Why does it have an R rating? So boring and blah. (laughs) And this other person wrote, this horror film wasn't scary. It had such an incredibly dumb concept. I wasted my life watching this. Wow. You know what it's about going in, <laughs> so that's your fault. <laughs> a little dramatic. I wasted my life watching this. Okay. <laughs> but as we wow. kind of talked about, it, it does tend to be a lot of the audiences can't get over the killer car concept, but a lot of the bad reviews all revolve around it's just too slow for them. It's a little boring. Not much yep. is happening. How do you feel about that? You know, I would not fault anyone for thinking that. I think mm-hmm. this movie is really slow, and I think it gets better on rewatches. Like, I, when I first watched it, I gave it four out of five. And I think even then I was like, this is like, it's not the strongest four. Like, I'm not dying to give it a four and a half. But now I'd give it a solid four and a half. Because um, just after you think about it more, like, a lot of people talk about this film as like a response to how films like American Graffiti romanticize like nostalgia for the 50s. And this movie's like, fuck that. Like, I think there's so many interesting things going on in this film, but you got to really try to see it. And there is something to be said for like, sure, there's a lot of interesting stuff here, but I just wasn't entertained while I was watching it. And that's fair. We all have movies like that. But what do you think? I agree with you completely. I think there is a legitimate argument to make that for a horror movie, it does have a strangely low body count in terms of who is being killed off and who is dying. I think in total, it's eight people who die in this movie. Eight people. And then I don't think that's counting. Like they technically like mention how LeBay's wife and daughter died in it. Uh, But that doesn't count, obviously. But like from what we see, we see the bullies... So we got one, two, three bullies get killed off. We uh-huh. see the guy in the very beginning on the assembly line. That's four. That's right. We see uh, Darnell, the, Darnell, the shop owners, five. The random gas station attendant who's in the gas station. With oh, them. yeah. Jesus. That guy is like, he's like <laughs> collateral <on> damage. Just <laughs> <laughs> fucking working. And then all of a sudden his gas station explodes. <laughs> uh, that's like, uh, there were only three bullies. Well, no, I, there I had remember... to have been more because there was. Bunny, Bunny, Buddy Repperton. He had his little friend there who got lit on fire. Buddy does the main guy. 
buddy oh, that was still, that at was the very still end. Buddy. I was like, well, because I feel like friend. at the very end, he, the Christine chases only two of the bullies, Buddy and his friend. One of the friends gets run over into the gas station, right, with the gas station attendant. The gas station explodes, and Buddy runs off, and the car and Christine chases him down, runs him over, and sets him on fire. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other bully who like Just randomly gets, gets dropped half. off somewhere. Yeah, then Christine chases him and cuts him in half. Man, that was tough. That was tough. Woof. <laughs> so that's the only bullies I can remember who get the axe or get the Christine in this movie. I think that's accurate. So three bullies: Darnell, gas station, gas station attendant, guy at the beginning. Line. Yeah. Sadly, Arnie. Sadly, Arnie. Sweet baby Arnie. I'm so sorry. So, but like a, a fairly small body count considering, you know, a couple years before this. Well, we have the thing before this where everybody basically dies in that movie. And Halloween, obviously, maybe the body count is as like equal in, in terms of how many people will die. But it's a little bit more visceral in terms of how they're dying. So there's more to chew on, I think, in terms of violence in his other films. And Christine is definitely a movie that I think if you're if you're a big Carpenter fan in 83 and you're coming off the high of the thing, which maybe you're not because in you know 82, they're not loving the thing. But you, you are kind of going a step down in terms of violence, in terms of gore, in terms of practical effects. Uh, so it, it, I could see how some people at that time found it boring and I could see how people now in this 21st century world where we're just thrown violence at every moment in every movie, I could see how people would be like, wow, nothing really happens. We kind of discussed that in, in Halloween as well, like how it's a, a slow buildup, that tension's slow. Yes. I think this film and Halloween are, are kind of similar. I mean, this has certain slasher bones and my question I guess is, do you think after the poor reception of the thing that people were saying it was too disgusting, either that Carpenter kind of was a bit afraid of going that far, mm. or I'm sure the studio Studios was like, hey, fucking back. rein it in, dude, because people didn't like the lubed up uh, <laughs> alien monster <laughs> in your last one. <laughs> Can you reduce the KY jelly by 100%? <laughs> 